0: Web media, you're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show podcast, all about front-end web design and development. I'm Dave Rupin, with me is Chris Kuyer. Hey, Chris. Hey, how you doing? Oh, good. You probably can't hear by the sound of my voice, but I am once again wearing athleisure. And you, you probably said, whoa, Dave, you got a shirt with buttons? <laughs> yeah, I got a shirt with buttons and athleisure on the bottom. I'm basically the mullet of business, but I could still go to the store or uh, answer the door if a package comes or something like that. Oh, I, am, I see, yeah.
1: You yeah, know, nobody uh, does the opposite, right? Nobody wears like an old grungy T-shirt and slacks.
0: No, you know? no. that could be a thing. But. It could be, yeah. But no, you just look at him, look at you know, I'm whatever. I'm feeling good, though. Embracing some athleisure as uh, the pandemic stretches on.
1: I dressed (laughs) up nice today. I got a button shirt on, a cashmere sweater, wore my lucky belt. Can't see that, but, you know. Got business call. Is there? Is it you interviewing somebody? (laughs) Yeah, I actually totally do have a business call today, which is partly for it, and it's one of those like you know cross your fingers kind of calls. So uh, big
0: enough, big enough. You
1: need to put buttons on. Yeah. yeah, I wanted the the lucky spirit to it. And we're talking about, you know, fantasizing about a, a Mexican vacation, too. So I wear the Mexican belt, see if maybe oh, both those good, things can come true on one day. Ooh,
0: manifested. manifest it. Yeah. Manifest it. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes, That's I love right. it. Uh, I had, we had... <laughs> over the Christmas holidays, uh, uh, had a important business meeting and like, I was like dressed, you know, like I'm in my, like, uh, Mm -hmm, I'm mm -hmm. in my stepmom's office, which is uh, got like photos of me and all my stepbrothers, like on the wall, our graduation photos. It's so full dork, Uh, but I'm like, (laughs) I'm dressed up ready for a business call with important business. And straight up like we got ghosted it's fine like it all all got resolved but it was like it was like a no-show meeting because like it was over christmas no one was expecting it but that's like when it got scheduled and it was just like it just you know there's like a slight like chump feeling when you like get dressed up for a meeting and it just doesn't make or whatever that's um yeah that was a good feeling so
1: yeah indeed sorry about manifest is, it. It's going to happen. Today's would, the day. You in that office, I would say yes to anything you were trying to sell me. I'd be like, look at this guy. He's creative. He's full of life and energy. He knows what he's talking about. He's got those smart guy glasses on. He makes
0: his own uh robots. <laughs> uh, plastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Big into Gunpla now. That's a new hobby I got. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah, I'm kind of. I've been. I, I, this is, and we can get into web design questions or whatever, but I've been getting into like, I basically quit Twitter because Twitter's stupid uh, to me now, but yeah. uh, like, I don't use it as much as I used to. It's uninstalled from all of my devices. Um. So I have to go on Just to freed the website up some time, on my computer. Apparently, yeah, it has freed up some time. So I've been getting into like, you know, like, Almost like crafts, you know, crafting or hobbies like where you like use your hands and stuff like that. So I've been—I don't know—I'm just like kind of getting new obsessions. It's kind of fun, fun and nice, you know. Like not just making websites. I like that you
1: found some time in that way. I think feel like most of my fantasies in life revolve around what would I do if I had more time. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Like if you had
0: more and time, then you actually have. Well, the only way to create, I don't have a bunch of time, but the only way to create time is just to like, be like, no, (laughs) like I'm just not, not going, I'm not looking at that. So, and Mm -hmm. you know, like TikTok, that was a big time void for me. So I quit, I used that for a bit and then hot minute and then quit that. And then, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, it's like the internet's like kind of boring now. It's like RSS feeds. (laughs) It's great. It's, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's like but it's yeah it's like I'm not hanging out on reddit not really you know I got some discords you know of course the discord popping off but you know that's all that's kind of more peppery when that shows up I'm not fully like 100% typing in 17 discords at once you know so
1: yeah 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 somebody was saying to me no I was listening to postlight was like po- podcast I was to about how they just offhand, threw out this offhand remark that like the majority of Discord usage for people is passive. They're like, they're like 99% of all usage is just people listening kind of thing. I was like, I wonder if that's true because it doesn't sync with my usage and that's mm-hmm. all I have, right? So I just think of myself as I always do. That's, um, well,
0: that's a natural tendency. That's if I'm in center. a Discord and
1: I'm not participating, um, I just leave it because it's just boring to me. I get, I don't get anything out of listening to it. Like I need to participate. I, I, I Otherwise, I, I don't know what's going on. I don't understand the, the vibe as well as I should. And if I have nothing to say— why be there like it's just not maybe it's just my personality or something but yeah definitely i'm not a a discord lurker
0: yeah i i have a lot of discords now like just very recently um you know like one is like my esports team i follow uh one is this patreon i support for game makers toolkit which is really awesome uh But then there's like some tech ones now for like like all the support channels are starting to go to Discord, right? Which is good and bad. I, I like it, but I also and maybe like I it's it's like you need help with something? Cool. Here's just the fire hose, dude. Like <laughs> it's like that's kind of not what I wanted. I just really I used I don't know, the older I get the more specific my problems are. It's like I need this. I need Terraform to work on DigitalOcean. I need database firewalls for Terraform on DigitalOcean. Like, my problems are really specific. Right. Uh, it's not, but I don't want to just hop in the DigitalOcean or Terraform Discord. No offense, uh, Melanie, but, like, I don't want to hop in the HashCorp Discord just to, like, get one question answered. So, And then, like, I'm in, a, like, a keyboard, two keyboard ones now. But one is, like, customer support because I was, like, I paid, like – a bunch of money. I want this keyboard. Where is it? There's no status on the website. And then they're like, did it work? No, I go to the discord and then they're like, Hey, send an email. If you have customer support, you know, but I was kind of hoping for like some chatter, like other people who are like, where's my keyboard dude? You know, but, Mm. um, but then uh, Max Voltar, you know uh, uh, yeah, Tim Van Dam, he has a like, whole one whole keyboard because he he does keycaps now. That's kind of like a little side hustle he has, and uh, right. they're beautiful. But they, uh, but I'm in this big Discord now. I like it, but uh, that's it's,
1: totally run by just him. Is he like super active in it? And
0: yeah, he's pretty active. And so I guess there's only it's, let's see, 150 members, which is like. I think that's like the max Dunbar number I can really handle, you know, like this, like 150 plus people in a, in a discord
1: or a Slack is starts to get wild. So yeah, it's probably a good number and it's a little too sad if it's too much less than that too, you know? <laughs> right. Right. Like it kind of,
0: the volume, the velocity is maybe not as interesting. So
1: I don't know, but yeah, right. It's like the, the you know, you were talking about podcast consistency the other day and it was like. If you have a podcast that hasn't been updated, in even like three months or something, you're kind of like, "Well, that's dead." Unsubscribe. Oh, you know, yeah. Whereas the the number for a Discord is like, "Oh, nobody said anything in a week. Done. Bye." You know, right, right. And it's like, yeah,
0: even like channel by channel, it's like, "Do we need this channel?" No one's talked in it for a long time. You know, so
1: yeah. Anyway, all right. I have a. I, I'm going to hit you with one that you're not prepared Ooh, for. This is a classic surprise, old Dave. Here we go. Yeah, kind of just like a I I I want your honest take on on this if you even have one cuz you don't have to force an opinion if you don't have one. But it's a, I guess the the first way in is about configuration-based UI. Mm-hmm. So let's say you're going to build out, and I, you know, I happen to have seen like the inside of of Luro, so like that I can see some of that. Like, so let's say you have like a sidebar of stuff. One way to build a sidebar of stuff is to write some HTML. That's like here's an unordered list with LIs and As, and I handcraft what that is. And mm-hmm. another way you could is like instead of like uh, eventually I am going to have a template that is that, but I could describe that however I want to. I could describe it as a JavaScript object and each object is like represents one navigation in the sidebar and it has a name and it has a title and I'm choosing like almost like an API for the sidebar and then I pass that data to some kind of component and it loops or maps over it and produces the markup that it needs to do. So I've said, I don't, you know, it's kind of like I'm saying I'm not going to hand craft the markup for this. The first class citizen is the data
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: and the front end builds itself from the data. And that could be a form. It could be a big list of settings. It could be a modal where you say, nope, no, you don't, don't give me HTML for this modal. Give me data for the modal and mm-hmm. I will build the modal from it. So that's what I mean by configuration-based UI. You could really go all in on this or you could reject it and I feel like I've heard very different opinions on this and I'm curious which way you normally go or if you have if you've even care. I think I tend to be more static like
0: the, this is the navigation or the UI like what, you know. Um, But uh, with Luro, I have been kind of thinking like what, what if there's pieces that don't apply like pieces of the application like we're never going to use that I would rather just hide it from the navigation. You know, that's Mm. like totally fair. I think we're, you know, I can think of two situations where it gets tricky, right? The classic WordPress WP nav client handoff where you handed them five beautiful links. Oh, beautiful. Five links. Mm. Six weeks later, it's 22 links you know, and mm. exploding the layout, nothing, the tolerance wasn't there, but like, it was just, it was just not made for it, you know, or, or like that's just way too many, but they wanted to add that. And I could go two ways. I could go to it. I could say, man, they shouldn't be able to do that. And then I can also be like, well, if that's what they wanted, they're probably happy. <laughs> so,
1: you mm. know, and so maybe they're happy. Um, I could see that. because So you've you made, in this scenario, the data-based part of it, like, comes from an admin tool or a CMS. Mm-hmm. And that, in that kind of way, you really had no choice, really. Like, you had to template out the UI to loop over data that it, it is being given. Mm-hmm. Let's say, though, just for the sake of setting that you controlled both. Like, you're making this data abstraction choice for yourself and Mm -hmm. for your own team. So if somebody wants to add a form element or add a setting or add a navigation bar, they don't just go edit the template to do it. They have to add, and this could be, let's assume that it's JSON data. They have to go into this thing called like sidebar.json and copy and and paste a chunk of an uh, an object. mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, again, I
0: think I like it. I think what, where it's, I'm, man, I'm getting like a bunch of ideas here. Um, I I think one place where it gets tricky is what if you add a new feature, you know, like to the application, like whatever, CodePen, um, what would, CodePen NFTs, I'm doing it, so mm-hmm. whatever. So yeah. like, and, you know. And I, but I configured my navigation so I don't actually see the CodePen NFTs because I configured that to, I already preset it. How do you, do you just inject that for them or do you like, mm. you know what I mean? Like, like, do you kind of heavy hand and just be like, you get to, everyone gets to see the new features in the navigation in the config, configurable UI or something like, a even like going more micro than like a navigation, like, a WYSIWYG. It's like, oh, we added features to the WYSIWYG, but you can configure the WYSIWYG to show whatever you want. You know, how do you like let people know there's been new features added and they have to now click something or whatever to add it back or write the JSON to add it back in?
1: Um, yeah, right. I think that is, it po- points at a limitation to it in that, let's say you wanted to show it to 50% of people or or even show it to 100% of people, but call it out specially Now all of a sudden, so you're, so, you know, this goes through the, the, uh, let's say it starts in design and the designer has uh, now a sixth navigation item where there used to be five with a big badge that says new with a yellow sparkle on it or something. How do you pull that off when it's configuration based? So now you have to be like, you know what? Well, I think we should have... In the JSON data for the navigation items, we're going to have to have a new property, and it's called new, and we'll say new true. And then in the template, if new is true, we'll put output this little new badge.
0: Always, yeah.
1: Always so, show what that. An, it, what yeah. a weird abstraction, right? Whereas if you didn't do the abstraction, you just put the new badge next to it because you, you have no you know, you're not limited in that way. Same thing with the modal. If you made a modal that says, this modal does not accept arbitrary HTML to show. It accepts a title, it accepts a description, it accepts any of these three buttons or something and that's it whereas another way to design a modal is to just say here's the, like the shell of the modal and maybe we'll automatically add okay and cancel buttons or something if, mm-hmm. if you want them but otherwise just put whatever HTML you want in the middle that like opens up some design control I can do whatever I want in that modal and feel like I have design control yet it also opens the door for inconsistency Big time, yeah. Because every
0: little modal now is a web page. It's not a uniform uh, right. information device or whatever, a, a flow control. It's now a web page inside a,
1: a Right. So a you might square. do the configuration-based to force some consistency. And you also might argue that it could be a little easier. Let's say it's a form and you want to add a form element that just copy and pasting a little previous piece of JSON data and putting the stuff in there that says like, Oh, this is field eight now. And it's capturing a refer URL or something that you don't have to worry about like getting the markup. Right. And, um, and, and things like that. And now in the case of settings, let's see hundreds of settings. Yeah. That they're not little bespoke components. There's like less surface area to get it wrong. Mm. -hmm. Mm. -hmm. I do like that.
0: Um, yeah, uh, you've used rails. Um, the, Mm. uh, form helper on, on rails was kind of cool because it was just like it because it, it knew about your data structure it just was like i'm just going to spit out a form for you you know like like automatically and here's all the junk all the error handling all comes back from the server it all it all hooks in it's all like and all you had to do was be like you know what rails generate scaffold whatever posts and it just did it you know um
1: Right, and Life. so they were, it was trying to help you, but it, I remember, you know, I'm sure we still have some of them in our code base in some places, that it wasn't that, in some cases, almost more verbose. It's not like it saved you typing, but it gave you guardrails. It said, if you call this wrong, then it's, we're going to yell at you, you know, like mm-hmm. you, meaning that you have this, it's almost like an implicit test for your front end, because it would bomb if you got it wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's what I uh, to, to roll this forward into testing a little bit. Let's say you you went for it. In some areas of that, it's not like you have to go all in on a configuration based UI, but some parts of your UI might be built from data rather than, you know, handcrafted HTML or JSX or Vue components or whatever else. Mm-hmm. And any language can do this, you know. That's what the kind of the beauty of JSON is that it's so digestible by so many different languages. You just import it and loop over it and use it. Um, you can also validate it. So I was kind of going down that road this week a little bit and testing out some libraries that say, "Okay, here's a chunk of JSON that, in this case, describes UI, but also, for the record, c- c- could also kind of describe the data that it represents too. If 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 it is, you know, like let's say it's a form." The data that builds the UI, you can have a schema for that that it, all, it relates to the data that it outputs. Also, I know mm-hmm. that feels a little abstract, but you could be like, "Well, I said that this input has this ID, so the name data that comes out the other side should have that ID too." And you can validate them against each other. But anyway, let's say you're describing, you know, the Luro sidebar, and you say, you know, or whatever, and it says, you know, there's an j- object and it has a name maybe it has a you know a hover name or something if you wanted to like be more verbose and it has an icon which is a url to an icon and it has all these maybe it has a color maybe it has a hover color and instead you know you're 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 crafting a little piece of json that describes all these things because that's how you're going to build the ui you could also write a schema and mm-hmm. sit it right next to that thing and says, this is the shape of that object that I expect. So if somebody come in, comes in here and adds a sixth navigation item but forgets the hover color, that schema can say, hey, it can yell at you just like Rails would have yelled at you or something and be like, you forgot that. That's going to cause a problem. It's a way to add kind of this like unit testing to an a UI that's, you know, another way to do it would be to like write a cypress test or something is there six navigation items when i hover it is it blue you know that's nice too but it's almost it's almost easier in a way to write a a piece of schema
0: no i i, I like it um i there there is like a point right like there's a point where you now have so many options in the thing drop downs uh you know exclusive drop downs are like uh and you can have as many drop downs open as you want or you, hover colors focus indicators focus uh visible indicator you know like there's like a point where you could possibly have so many options that it was just easier to write html <laughs> like you know what i mean like where like raw html would actually be the more succinct choice than globs and globs of json properties you know yeah Right. I've just seen it where it's like you know it's like a card UI and you're like, well, we'll just like offer you know twenty props to like configure the card UI. You know, and right? You're twenty just like, is
1: like starts to be too many for whatever UI it is. Like, yeah. twenty is twenty is nuts time. Whereas like one is too few. Then why'd you even bother? You know, there's probably like this sweet spot of like five of to stuff. seven. And, and or that's something, why I brought up yeah. that like the new badge thing because then you know one little design decision you got to update the schema like maybe your ui really you don't just add new equals true to the one you got to add new equals false to the five other ones too because that's the you want the schema to really mean something you know it's not really much of a schema if everything's optional
0: yeah and then like configuration is like the like starts to become the enemy, you know, it's like, okay, we have a new, right. And it's kind of gold. Right. But uh, you know, this one's extra new. So we have like a sparkle, we're adding a sparkle and during pride, it's kind of rainbow. And then, you know, like, so you get all these, like uh, you just get all these configurations that like, now you have to manage it's technical that kind of at that point, you know, and then every new person has to come up and they have to like, Read a book about the options for the for for right. the navigation or for the card, you know. And so, um, and there's ten thousand things. And
1: let's say it's a view component or a, a React component anyway. That that's that's what gets mapped over and called to produce the navigation anyway. There might be like prop type validation there anyway. So what you pass into this nav item thing is now validated twice, and it's like, oh my Double god, validation. How, how, yeah, how freaking you know, how many times do I need to get yelled at while well, I'm trying to make an anchor link? This could have been one little piece of HTML with, you know, that will probably never cause us problem. And in fact, maybe cause us less problems because it's such a simple piece of UI. Why does it need an army of crap behind it? You know.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, the WordPress footer links was always a thing too. You know, it was like you need... Five links, great, got it. Loop through four link and links, do it, you know. And then it's like, oh, but we need columns of links. Okay, cool. So four call and calls and links and call, you know, like <laughs> do, do, doing it. Oh, but you know, the newsletter sign up, that's a friggin' form. Okay, well, so okay, you know, and like you just start tumbling down this like pain train of configurable, you know, configuration based UI. So uh, it's interesting.
1: I, I've heard real, real. You know, like I hate it even stronger, you know, as I think there can be a, a, t- a like a very different coding style there. If you don't decide on a team, you might open up a component in a PR one day and at the top of the component is like just a random array. Like they didn't even bother to make it JSON and validate it or anything, but they, they know they needed to loop over something three times. And rather than repeat themselves, they abstracted the three things into this array and then looped over it and then made one from the rip just because that's how they think. They're like, oh, mm-hmm. there's three and they're very identical. So, you should, and and I I've seen that pushed back against really strongly. Like, oh gosh, why the? It's hard to think about. Because so now I have to look at your array and like get it in my head, and then scroll down and look at the actual rendering of the component and kind of mm-hmm. marry the two up in my mind. And you're like, for what? You know, where was the real <laughs> for, value? That- for uh, three leaks in a navigation. You know, yeah. like,
0: like <laughs> unfortunately, but I, you know, it's, it's interesting. There's, yeah, I mean, I feel like my whole life, my whole career has been this oscillation between we're just going to, the client said they wanted it configurable. So we're going to offer configuration. So we build out all this configuration, web flow, super WordPress, you know, like we're doing all this configuration and then guess what? They don't want a configuration. They want me to do it. And so now I've just made my life harder. <laughs> and so then I go back to like, guess what? You're getting a Jekyll site, and then I do the Jekyll site, and then they're like, hey, we we're gonna go back to Webflow and you or whatever, you know. And so you're just like, yeah. ah, like anyway, it, it's just been a a kind of I feel like there's a yin yang of of desires, you know. So even I know, get you, even on a small team, people may not actually know what they want, like. Sounds great to configure UI. I think it is great in most circumstances, but then it can just be harder. So, and you know what? Has, uh, I was thinking of one more example of like mm-hmm. a configurable UI that actually is kind of good and long standing is like the browser Chrome. Like you choose what buttons go in there and what plugins show up, and then you have like your identity. Thing and then your, like, hamburger shish kebab thing. Mm, like your
1: browser is a version of,
0: yeah, of configurable like, like UI? You'd like you can, like, right-click it, and then it's like, hey, what, you know, you want to add buttons to your UI? <laughs> you know, customized toolbar. And there's all these buttons on there, you know? And-
1: yeah, can literally just click and drag them around in the case of browser extension icons and stuff. Yeah, I think about that, too. So that, that's not, you know, that's... Con- God, how how would you describe that? Like it's a slightly different concept because it's like behind the scenes, that's probably a configuration based UI. But it but it would be really hard to do if it wasn't. Mm-hmm. You know. So in this case, maybe it's th- th- these show up in the browser because they're an array mm-hmm. that have an index of which one shows up first, and all they have to do is save that index order for you. And then it'll just build itself that way when it needs to be built. If you didn't, you know, choose some configuration-based thing to do this, it would be, that would be much harder to pull off. Yeah. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by Netlify. You know, one of the things Netlify does is it can run cloud functions for you, meaning that even though you have this static site as your base, you can still, like, run lambdas essentially and you run them at like local URLs to your site so there's no cores issues that's so cool but the point is that you can still do all the dynamic stuff you could do on any other site right so you load up the home page, and it, maybe it checks to see if you're logged in and if you are it knows what user you are and then it hits contentful and says get me the data for this user and then the data comes back down and use JavaScript to put dynamic user specific data on the page amazing right and now if I make that's so much easier because they offer things like, like the Netlify Functions product and like Netlify Auth. Functions are just so awesome. Awesome. It's just a such a powerful way to handle doing back end tasks, even though your front end side of it is, is essentially static. You know, it's like that's like the new paradigm. That's what Jamstack is. They have long running functions as well. So it's not just a necessarily a really quick running Lambda. If there's longer, beefier tasks you need to do, Netlify can handle that well. And here's a brand new one. They have a this is just hot off the presses, they have scheduled functions now as well, meaning that if you want to say, hey, Run this every day, run this every hour, run this on the 1st of February, kind of thing. What you might think of as cron. Netlify can do that too. And this is, you know, just dropped into Netlify Lab. So I think you got to turn it on and all that, but you can do that as well. I've used this kind of thing in the past, you know, if you have a site with timely content in it, like, oh, say a site with a list of conferences, you want to run that so that it could maybe fetch the conferences that are relevant to today's date, build the site, uh, and then have that site be updated in the new build. Kind of important to run that on a schedule. Netlify offers that too. Good job. Thanks, Netlify. Bye-bye. Yeah. Do you expect that out of your UIs? That's an interesting thing, too. You know, like you open up VS Code, you have a lot of choice in how you want that app to behave. You can turn on and off sidebar icons. You can drag them around in different orders. You can take that console and drag it somewhere totally different if you want to open it like a tab. There's just a lot of control you have over it, whereas you might, you know, perhaps in sublime text or something, they were more opinionated, you know. You had some control, but not nearly that level of control. And like, which is better, you know?
0: Yeah, no, I, I mean that's a good like thing. There's like like um, like Slack. You don't really control it. You can change the theme color, but you don't really control the UI, right? Or but, not really. But, you can, like, drag channels into, like, the starred channel. You can kind of rearrange channels. And I was thinking of, like, Notion, another app I use all the time. Like, would Notion even work if you couldn't customize the sidebar?
1: <laughs> Probably not, right? Like, it would just be an utter failure, right? Uh, right, but they draw the line with customizability on Notions. But, the, you know, you can't – there's no color picker in Notion. Oh, it's yeah. not, not yeah. even a color picker. You can't even, you know – and I kind of like that. It means that unlike a Word document – Which, you know, the chances are if you let the intern go hog wild with the design choices in a Word document, it's going to be nigh unreadable. Yeah, you got purple H1s real quick. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that you can't, you almost can't make an ugly Notion document, you know. I've always appreciated that. There's some uniformity to it that's really
0: nice. So, yeah, no, yeah. It's all, This is all interesting. Yeah, you can't change the hyperlink colors. You can't. You know, like they limit how much you could do. So um,
1: yeah, I'm sure that's very much uh, an on-purpose thing.
0: But maybe that's more file system. Like when you have trees of content, you want to be able to drag them around or whatever. That's.
1: I wonder if there's like subtle rules here. Yeah, is it just an outcome of configuration UI? As soon as it's as soon as you've built your UI from configuration, it just becomes a lot easier to make it customizable. So why not? You know, you're like, you're a hop, skip and a jump from making it customizable. Maybe just allow it.
0: Yeah, maybe that's the difference is like configuration is like a whatever data driven generation of the UI, right? And customizable means the user can manipulate that configuration file, right? Or that configuration
1: store. Yeah, um, possibly. There's probably like a master one that it defaults to, but then mm-hmm. you can marry that up with a customized one, or just slap it in local storage or whatever.
0: Yeah, how deep do you go on this? Like, because CodePen I could see is like right on the fence of like, mm. like something you'd want to offer a big customizable UI with. You know, um, I think Luro too. It's just purely mm-hmm. for Luro, it's like, uh, like on and off would be, like, my first thing, you know,
1: just, like, a little, like, hide this or, like... Exactly, yeah. Yeah, dip your toes first and see how painful it is.
0: You know, and I may actually, for Luro, because I've been thinking about that, is, like, start on, like, a, like, env var, (laughs) like, a process.env, like, turn this off, turn that off, Mm. you know, so, like, I can disable whole routes and chunks of the app, you know, if I need to, you know? So that would be kind of something... To think about so
1: what if you know you have your a business account or whatever so you've bought you've purchased accounts for everybody that works for you and at the business level you can set your you know your browser's list and say mm-hmm. i only care we don't really care about IE11 anymore cuz we've set our our browser support higher than that so when i'm looking around MDN i don't i don't need to see IE11 support charts you can just mm-hmm. hide them. And those support charts are really thick <laughs> at MDN. <laughs> they can be hard to look at when they show yeah. every browser in the universe. So if you said, these are the five browsers I care about, you customize MDN to what your company cares about. Because your whole dev team's on MDN, I promise, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then you just kind of cool.
0: like, it's all green lights from here. So
1: Yeah, but, well, you just want, if there's a red light, you want it to be, you want to to be more visible, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? You don't just say, like, no, 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 no. Even in our browser support thing, that's off, you know? Because, yeah, you'd even want... Because almost
0: like uh, when you do Can I Use, not n- not to that they should, like, steal stuff, but um, <laughs> with Can I Use, you can be like, I want... Safari 12, you know, that's like a few versions back now, you know, like, like Mm -hmm. we're on Safari 15, but I, we just know we have customers on Safari 12. I need to know Safari 12. That classic uh, Jim Nielsen post, you saw that probably about like his mom's iPad didn't work (laughs) like the website for her church or something or community group she was volunteering at Mm -hmm. didn't work. And he's like, what's going on? Like, you know, and he looks at the iPad and it's like, oh, it's like a first gen iPad air and it's like locked to Safari 12, and it doesn't support optional chaining. And that's what was causing the whatever church website to break down. And and I just was like, it's just something you don't think about,
1: you know? Um, no, I mean, I think about it more on Safari because I knew that particular version of locking. But it was interesting in that. She also couldn't look at it. Also on her Chromebook, which also was is hardware Chrome Chrome locked. Chrome is Chrome. It's definitely you know, in my brain. It's like if Chrome then Evergreen. well you know, and I need to shake that from my brain because it's freaking not true.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know Eric Bailey had a good post, I guess, on CSS Tricks about kind of like Evergreen is not always updated, right, or something. Right. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, like that's just. Ah man, it, there's a lot to think
1: about. You know what I mean? So, so yeah, there really is. And in this case, the solution isn't even that bad. It just means like we should just do the babble thing and send down a a bundle for it. And it doesn't mean that we have to Babelize that you you know. Because th- this was hot. Like I feel like two years ago, this was the conversation. It was. Send a modern send modern JavaScript to modern browsers and send older an older bundle to other ones. And it's not that hard of a thing to do.
0: But do you think that's manifested in the tooling? Let's manifest it. Come on. (laughs) Split differential serving. Uh, I don't know that it's manifested in the tooling. Like, I don't think my Nuxt app gives builds an IE bundle. You know what I mean?
1: Yes, like, I do. I think you're 100% right. I think if you were, we were all still managing our gulp files, that there would be some gulp pattern to do this that would have, you know, gotten popular and that would have solved it. But that's not true anymore. You know, like the default settings of bundlers aren't give me two bundles. Like, that would be kind of cool if that was a default. Like, what if Veet did that? Like, out of the box, Veet said, every time we build your site, we're going to build it twice, an old and a new. It's not. It's not a default. It's not a
0: default, right? So maybe you have to ask for it. I don't know. Um, I had an interesting situation. So in speaking of optional chaining, uh, in my Nuxt app, or view, I guess this is a view thing, in Vue 2, you can't, like, V if, you know... Um, the if post question mark author or hmm, um, dot right? Question dot, you know, like you can't like use the optional chaining in a view two template, you can in view three. But then uh, there was like, I could install this bat- whole other Babel transform in my Nux config and do all this mm. stuff. and I just was, I punted on it. I think it would actually lead to really nice, cleaner code, but I just was like, I don't know if like. I, you know, with the with a big framework or with the fr- I guess it's not big, but with the framework like Nuxt, like is is yoinking out the Babel is is taking ownership of the Babel transform really a smart thing to do? I think that's where I was kind of like, uh there, there it is. Uh, I think that was sort of like, is that like a smart move or am I just entering a world of hurt? You know, so yeah, I know Babel's like very. Tested. Lots of people use it. I'm sure lots of people use this plugin, but I just was like, I don't know if I, I don't know if old Dave Rupert has the energy to fight Webpack for the next six
1: weeks or whatever, you know? So Right, right. I know on Next, for example, too, if you have, if you've done any customization at all, you know, Next12, they, the the marketing behind it was SWC, baby, or or do I have that acronym, right? They, they, they changed their JavaScript compiler piece of it. So okay, something that's yeah. way, way faster, some Rust-based thing or whatever. But not if you've done any customization at all. Because then it, then you run next at the command line and it says, oop, aborting on the new compiler because you're doing custom stuff. I understand why they did it. I mean, they can't port your custom config to a new tool where that config doesn't isn't the same. Yeah. And so I get it. But like yeah. you know, the second you take control of config stuff. You better as hell know what you're doing, you know, and and realize mm-hmm. that you're now against the grain, and that there's real downsides to doing. Yeah, no, it's uh, you gotta think about it. Well, talking about configuration based UI, there's an, a there was a request in here came in from a listener who requested to be anonymous, which is perfectly fine, of course, that wanted to just talk about design tokens. And specifically their history, which I'm not super qualified to talk about. I would say, although I know that Gina Bolt or uh, just Gina, Gina right? Yeah. Gina Ann was a uh, uh, was it was perhaps coined it, and was yes. in the early days of of Salesforce stuff was maybe that was the origin of it, and uh, and uh, and just you know did tremendous work there, and is occasionally not credited for it. Uh, properly, So I guess we can attempt to at least get that right. But I always think of design tokens as, so here's what the, the classics is colors, right? You you mm-hmm. say brand colors red and that can manifest itself in CSS. I can say brand color red, but I don't know that that's a design token at that point. That's just a CSS custom property or a variable if you're using a preprocessor. I think the point of design tokens is that you pull it back a level and you say, I'm going to put these tokens in some other language. I'm going to put mm-hmm. them in JSON or I'm going to put them in a YAML file or invent a syntax or put them in Excel file. I don't know. But something that is, is a little bit more language agnostic than just CSS is. Or even if you're going to put them in CSS, then you have build tooling to yank them out of CSS if you need them. Because the point is that these things should be usable by all sorts of stuff. You should be able to pull them into your Figma. You should be able to pull them into your iOS app or your mm-hmm. Android app. That, that these are they're just representations of a little piece of data that you're going to use to design something with that's more language agnostic than just CSS or just JavaScript or something. So you, your colors, but it's not just colors. It's stuff like spacing. It's the font stacks that you use. Mm-hmm. It's the size of things, small, medium, large, what, what are you know, maybe you have column widths or something or standard. Or maybe you have special filters that just your app uses and that the expression of that filter is a design token yeah. or your timings. Like how do things feel when they open and close? That could be a token. I don't know if you're, you know, or like the animation. Do you have like a special shake animation or something? That could be a a design token. And then, so all those things. And so they just wanted to hear us talk about to some degree. I don't know the deep history, but I do love the idea of it, especially the second you have two things that you're building instead of one. A lot of times I just work on websites, so I kind of don't go down the road. I just put them all in CSS, but... If I had two things, if I was building an iOS app, believe me, I'd be looking into this. Because you nailed the
0: history there. It was, it was kind of, and and I think what it's really about is is having a shared terminology for things because I can name a variable brand color greyish five hundred, you know. Yeah. But the iOS app doesn't know that. Like they don't call it grand brand color greyish five hundred. They call it inspired desert, you know? And so like, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and so desert calm and grayish 500 are the same color, but just named differently because it it takes the kind of human naming system a step back. Like if that app happens at a higher level, so everyone's operating from the same uh, variable names, variable meaning, like it, it, I think that's pretty powerful in and of itself. Uh, But like you, Chris, like Paravel hasn't really jumped on the um, tokens thing until maybe kind of recently. Like like now that we've been using Figma more, like Figma kind of has this concept of styles inside your Figma and you can use a plugin to like export the styles and now you have tokens. Um, And like we're actually kind of bullish on that just because it's very like it's kind of cool to just have like, here they, here's the colors and here's the styles and we, here's how they're organized. And if you don't like it uh, you have to invent new ones, but this is just what we use, you know? And so then everybody, your Figma app and your web app and your iOS app and your Android app are, and your SAS variables and your CSS variables, they're all using the same thing. And that's pretty powerful from a Whatever a distribution perspective. So yeah, and there was recently the W3C. There's a there's a a community group or maybe a standards group for tokens. So design tokens are kind of like there's an official format and that's supported by Amazon oh, Style Dictionary really? nice. and um, Amazon yeah, I should Style have known that.
1: Dictionary. And then uh, is it there's totally another one. unique? Did they invent the syntax or is it like JSON?
0: You know, it's, it's weird. I think they all had their own and like Theo had one in design style dictionary had one. Um, but it's, it's basically just a very loose, like name prop name value, like a key value structure, but yeah. it, it's, it's not a rev- key value description I think is what it is. But like, uh, but I think there's like, there's keywords like fonts, uh, uh font color gradient there, there's some keywords that they have kind of all agreed on as sort of some common tokens um mm. in there so color font, like I think you just said them, but like color uh font gradient spacing border timing stuff like that so um i'd have to like get into like what that those officially are but the good news is there's some standardization here happening, so you hopefully it just gets better as as things go forward It's not just like whatever I invented it, and so now it's this weird thing we have to live with for the rest of our life um, it's It's yeah. a bit more standardized I like the idea of getting things. the format so, right
1: because then tooling can build itself around the standard you know I like that more and more, like I feel like you know when Uh, processor errors like every processor in the world just kind of like invented a format they're like oh well we'll just throw it like this object you know but there was no effort made me of like maybe we should make a standard error format for a processor and we'll all processors will use that error format wouldn't that be nice not a thing you know or or like but 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 then there's like good examples too there's like you know, that browsers list one we mentioned is good. Like that, somebody had a desire, I think probably came from the auto-prefixer people, I think that there should be a way to describe what browsers you're trying to support. So they said, rather than us just inventing it, we are going to invent it, but we're going to call it this. It's going to be a separate repo. We're going to try to get Babel to support it. We're going to try to get other things that care about what browsers you support all using the standard format. And that one was a kind of a success story. I think mm-hmm. now when tools come out that need to support a list of browsers, it's in people's brains. They're like, "Oh, I'll just use that format." For me, I'm getting more
0: bullish on them. I we weren't there, but you know, I think Figma actually is maybe the gateway drug, just because yeah. it's in it's it's a website, it, it's in web. Mm. So, like, let's make our web site and the design website use the same variables, yeah. and so. <laughs>
1: that kind would be nice we, right? we, we ours was was good for years and then we had this so here's a just a situation right we had um you know there's all our all our colors we have 10 of them or something you know mm-hmm. yellow blue red yellow blah 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 but then it comes to grays that's not gonna, you know, five grays isn't enough for a website. We have 20 grays. We just decided we're gonna have a level of 20, and I think that's about the right number. Maybe a little high. Maybe you could get away with 12, 15, 16 or something like that. But we have 20, right? And I, I don't mm-hmm. regret it. It's five ain't gonna cut it. Not happening. Not enough grays. So mm-hmm. we have this thing, and they're you know, they're kinda like tinted and they have some like they have some spirit to them beyond just like gradient between gray and black, you know you can yeah yeah there's
0: like usually it's just like a fade uh, fade the luminosity right like the hsl you fade l from 0 to you do 0 10
1: 20 30 40 50, right, right? right i was yeah. just learning yesterday from the discord there we were we're playing around with this grayscale idea and that if all three numbers of rgb are the same then that's gray and that if you're trying to make a scale of grays that you can just kind of like choose a scale from 0 to 256 you know and it will Mm -hmm. and you just use the same number for all three and it's pretty easy programmatic way to do it even though my brain is like if programmatic color then hsl (laughs) but (laughs) yeah 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 that's that's changing a little bit we'll see when like lch drops and stuff lch is like the the hsl of the future Whoa. Very, very going to be interesting.
0: L C H is H S L of future.
1: All right, yeah. Write that down. Put that. That's on that. a good. That's
0: a good episode title. Chris Lock it in.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't. Where was I going with this? Okay, so we have twenty grays. At the time, we this was like pre before anybody thinking about us uh, uh, maybe someday having a light mode. We have we're code mm-hmm. pen is naturally dark, right? So we have just gray in the middle, and then we named our colors gray light, moving away lighter from the middle and gray dark moving away darker from the middle and named mm-hmm. them such. And they were correct in Figma and they perfectly matched our SAS variables at the time for years. Did you work with my coworkers on this naming scheme? No, do you like <laughs> it? It was okay. fine except for that if you call it gray light and gray dark and then you try to make an inverse colored theme, you're screwed because now the, the names don't are wrong now. That yeah. a gray light means gray dark, and you're you're screwed, right? So we decided to throw that all away, and we were tr- kind of variabilizing CodePen anyway, doing some work in that regard, and just change the system to just basically just 1 through 20, gray 1 through gray 20. So they don't mean anything. They're just a scale of grays. And if you were to reverse that scale, fine. It's just still gray 1 through 20. It doesn't mean anything. So do you... I guess do you invert the colors like like do you yeah, you change the scale one now now one used to be really dark and now one is really light, you know,
0: okay, okay, so you so now your gray one is gray twenty or whatever,
1: like I guess what the source of truth version, yeah, yeah, exactly, it's what it used to used to be, and you can get pretty far. Like maybe we haven't f- quite figured it out, but maybe all the way, maybe to the point where all we do is redefine these grays in a light mode, and we 're done mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that would I be like awesome that. that's actually pretty good, yeah, but now that the, now our figma number now our figma names are wrong because we mm-hmm. didn't update that, we kind of left them the way, and i don 't have a good mental mapping of what did gray light five what does that mean now? <laughs> Right, you right, know We just gotta kind of update. You
0: can't do those switcheroos, like if you're designing the dark and light mode in Figma, you can't really do this switcheroos there, right? Like,
1: I don't think so. Actually, I think we'll have to come up with we'll have to have two scales over there and or something. Yeah, that's a little, that's yeah, a little unfortunate. Like the light scale. You can't say in this document or temporarily redefine all these color variables. Yeah, I don't and think light that's possible.
0: And dark are so. so Those words are problematic, not in the like social justice sense, although they may be, but in the like, because when you're talking light, are you talking about the theme is light colored or the browser is light or the, you know, is it light mode? Or is it
1: relatively light to the next color by it? Yes. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so like those, those words are just hard. Like, yeah, they're bad words. Don't use them. Is my advice. Yeah.
0: I tried to like find like Japanese kanji that would actually like fit this better, but I I would, that was not a rabbit hole that was successful. But I just was like, you know, like, is it a limit of English? Is English the problem? English might be the problem. So is there a Mm -hmm. country that has like, whatever, Germany has the perfect way to describe whatever, hue over.
1: Hue scales, maybe because you can have your red, green, blue, whatever, and those are fine because you can redefine them a little bit when you change modes. But what if you had a blue and a light blue and a dark blue, and a pink and a light pink and a dark pink? Mm-hmm. Are they still does they does that map well, or does dark pink turn light pink in light mode or whatever? You know, yeah. I'm taking it
0: so far here, but like P3, the display P3, right, like. There are new pinks, Chris. Pinks you've never seen before. They are beautiful and powerful and vibrant, uh, and they exist only on this one color spectrum, not RGB. And so Mm -hmm. uh, that's the other trick: is like now with multiple color scales, we're talking about all talking about colors very difficult. Some
1: it really is. I've been really looking into this because what I have this blog. This draft blog post idea where I just want to tell you about the new things coming to color with like one paragraph of why you should care. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I just—it's so hard to write because it turned out I didn't really understand all this all that well. And there's so many things at play that are different. That even just you know, I call the the draft blog post to like a whistle stop tour of the new color function. It's really hard to do a whistle stop tour because you can't you can't you have you have to say a lot to have any meaning in this world. For example, all of the stuff we have now is sRGB as the color. Mode, I think, is the right word to say. Okay. And, yeah, and then there's functions that map your what you give that function to that color mode, and so there, there's some terminology in in there. And the way that RGB does it is it like has this model that's like a cube, and there's like polar coordinates that that handle that, which is fine. But you're you're still in the sRGB mode. And HSL maps it differently. Like there's a different model of describing those colors, but it still goes back to that same mode. So if something changes, like there's a new mode, like display P3. That's just totally different than RGB, that there's two things that are changing. There's the function and how it's described and how you map a color over there, and the mode itself is different, which it has these more colors, but there's like two things that are changing, not just one, oh, tricky. And then there can be more fun, like in the case of P3, I think there's only one method or whatever at the moment to like talk to it, which is the color function. And you say it's color P3, and then you pass it these three values that map to that space. But but that wider mode has you know which the word gamut gets involved too yeah yeah you know th- that like you have this lab color and LCH color and stuff and they're just they're a little bit like RGB and HSL, in that but they use this wider gamut to get there but this is really weird like you're like there's pinker pinks right you can mm-hmm. describe a pink that's so pink that even that it's outside even the realm of monitors today Eric Portis was describing this in a discord thing wow that's that's even pinker than panic's fancy pink on their fa- fancy panic website pink it's so outside of it that it's the pinkest pink ever known to possible to describe by math and then what happens is that gamut like sucks it back in and it maps it on this weird 3D map to the closest pink that it can get to that pink. But then as monitors evolve, it will become pinker as it's possible to display that pinkness. (laughs) Isn't that wild? In the future, monitors will have more pink. Interesting. So it's cool to have a color model, I guess, that's, that's wider than the monitors rather than sRGB right now, which is not capable of expressing through math the colors that our monitors are capable of. So we're catching up, but we're catching up past where we are instead of just mapping to what monitors have now. It's so crazy. Unbelievable. Truly. um, And they want uh, it to be... Human usable too, you know. They they want the num the, these functions to be, and I don't know how successful all that is necessarily. But but they're at odds with you know. There's this idea. There's this great you know. There's this great Adam Argyle tweet of HSL and how borked it is that you can have three colors in HSL that all have the same L that are definitely not the same lightness, mm-hmm. and they want to say, well, that's unusable for designers. You can rotate the hue, (laughs) like, what the heck is that, you know? So now in LCH, the HSL of the future, if you have the same lightness there, it really is truly the same lightness. And the way they've modeled it is, let's say it has the same level of, like, richness as a color, and then you make a gradient to another color that's quite rich. It's never going to, like, travel through territory in the model that's less rich, It's just going to go from rich to rich rather than in the sRGB model. There's just because of the math and the way things are mapped that it could travel through some rich color territory or it could travel through bummer gray town.
0: Yeah, it's going to go through brown town. Yeah, uh, (laughs) just take a trip there. Yeah, every time.
1: How fascinating.
0: uh, Yeah, it's fascinating. And like the way they like show these, they're like. Look at this three D orb that's like living, you know, like like we're all gonna need like VR crud yeah, to like, right. like pick colors. We're like, okay, I'm in the gamma quadrant, uh, and I'm gonna select this
1: pink node. So that's this future of color So Yeah, lots of stuff changing there. I can't say I totally explain it all, but Woo.
0: Fun. Well, that makes me want to change my hyperlinks to pink on my website. So,
1: anyway, I'll
0: figure that out.
1: I really like the idea of picking a pink that does, is not possible to display yet. Oh, just, just hyper pink.
0: cyber pink. Yes. That's <laughs> what it's called. Yes. <laughs> oh, cyber pink. Beautiful. Going to get there. Going to get there. Someday. Okay. Should we, All let's right. wrap it up, man. We only did one question, but we, got uh, we'll okay. answer some more questions next time. So, uh, thank you dear listener, for downloading this in your podcast or trace. Be sure to start our favorite up. That's how people find out about the show. Follow us on Twitter at shop talk show for 16 tweets a month. Uh, join us over in the discord, discord, patreon.com slash shop talk show. We have YouTubes now, hopefully some more coming out. So, and Chris, you got anything else you'd like to say? Shoptalkshow.com.